So first and foremost. I think the the addition of pant leggings is really when you start to see your heroes get watered down. Can't even muster the ability to play straight pants that one. Uh, which is a good argument for absolute rulers. Everybody is going to get behind me. They're going to love me, and my support numbers will go through. When you hang out with the hero, it doesn't go well for you. My grandfather yeah. took the cop and just slid it right through the bar. Okay. And that became the dominant way our family did it. Okay. And so, <laughs> in both of my marriages, they were treated to that. Okay, wait, hold on. Yeah, rage haiku. How do you imagine the rubber chicken point? My grandmother actually vacuumed in her pearls. Oh my god, it all makes sense. We've had the sexual revolution. It yeah. might have just been a Canadian standoff. We're gonna go back to 9 11. Dude, get over it. Mm-hmm. Nobody understands what the building is supposed to be. Agra has no <laughs> business being that thick. <laughs> With the cultists, win, we all win. This is a Geek History of Time. Where we connect nerdery to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history and English teacher at the middle school level here in Northern California. And I am still, uh, this is now my second year into it, I am still adjusting to teaching sixth graders. Um, and, And the problem I have is that I'm used to dealing with seventh graders who are far more jagged. That's the best, that's the best kind of descriptor I can think of. They, they have a lot more spiky edges and sharp points on them than sixth graders because um, between sixth grade and seventh grade, the prefrontal cortex of the brain shuts down for maintenance and does not come back online like at all until, until 25, 15. Well, it starts coming back around 15, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's not like the, the paving work and the painting of the, of the lines isn't done until 25, but, but seventh grade into eighth grade, it's, it's just, it's shut down completely. And so um, neurologically, what this means is that instead of um, stimuli coming through the vision center and the hearing center and going to the prefrontal cortex for uh, interpretation and, and, you know, calculation of response, uh, they go instead to the amygdala. And so seventh graders are all amygdala all the time, which explains why I'm going to bet that 75 to 80% of our uh, listening audience uh, will agree that possibly the most miserable year of their lives was somewhere around 13 to 14, somewhere in there, barring some terrible traumatic event, just like, like, um, uh, systemic misery is peak highest around between like 12 and 14, because your brain is literally interpreting everything as to whether or not it's a leopard trying to eat you on the Savannah. Mm. Okay. Um, and so I'm used to dealing with that. And now I'm dealing with sixth graders who are still little kids. Mm-hmm. And so today, um, I had the wonderful, the wonderful experience um, that kind of threw me for a loop for a minute because I like I haven't dealt with with sixth graders that much. 
And, and I had one of, one of the boys in my class, and I've only had these kids for like a week now. Um, he said, Mr. Blaylock. I said, yeah. He said, I asked a girl to the dance yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I had to, I had to stifle a laugh, not because it was like, oh, you little kid, huh? but like, there was this, there was this wonderful bubbling up of, of like, that's so awesome, you know? And I, I, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, maintain my composure. I, I let, let, you know, a little bit of a smile come to my face. And I said, oh yeah. So what'd she say? She said, yes. In exactly that tone of voice. And it was nice. just, it was too goddamn cute. And I'm not used to that. <laughs> like I had to, t- I literally had to like step aside. It was the very beginning of the period. I had to step aside for a second and actually kind of regain my composure because I wanted to immediately run to my phone and message my wife like oh my god these kids are too goddamn cute (laughs) so like this is a huge change and so far it's a very positive one um but yeah that's 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 where I am right now and what I have going on how are you doing and who are you I'm Damien Harmony I'm a high school last year doing it latin teacher and u.s history teacher i've been writing curriculum all summer long and i've been depressed as a result well Uh, yeah it's oh harroing (laughs) but i'm doing good stuff so uh that's the upside is like i really do enjoy research yeah yeah uh so that's that's what i've been doing um a couple things one i found out recently that every single person who has worked on this movie is now dead. And I'm wondering if this movie is cursed. Um, Nosferatu, you've, you've heard of it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Came out in uh, May yeah, well, of 1922. The, and yeah, the, every the, single person on that movie is dead now. And that's just... Well, sort of. You know. We don't know exactly what happened to Max Shrek. <laughs> that's a good point. Um, uh, it's worth noting that Max Shrek has no other film credits in any other movie anywhere ever <laughs> before or since he did. That's not true. Isn't it? No, he did a bunch of German films. Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh, I got suckered by an urban legend. Yeah, you did. Okay. Cause, yeah. cause I, I, I had gotten suckered by the story that like, no, no, it's entirely possible. Max Shrek might really have been a vampire. No, he worked for, unfortunately okay. he worked for like when the Nazis took over films, oh, he did a lot of films for that. Really? Like, yeah, they did a version of pure Ghent that he was in, which is okay. Wild. I can see the yeah. Nazis doing that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, he did a whole bunch of German films. Okay. So, well, yeah. Sorry. Shucks, my best, my best creepy story about yeah. it that is but, but he, he is did dead die. but yeah but then it, you know it's worth noting that uh, nosferatu was made in what year 1922 so so you decide uh, if it's cursed or not 100 years ago yeah yeah okay yeah just saying just saying just okay. saying all right uh everybody actually, everybody involved would have been born at or before 1900 I mean, Shrek himself like, was born in like 1897, I want to say. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm so, I'm I'm gonna say I think you're you're stretching a little bit thinking the movie's cursed. Yeah, I, yeah, you know. No, I'm sorry, he he's a older than bit. he was older than Chaplin and Hitler, so he was born in 1879. Oh shit, really? Yeah, yeah. That's how I oh, remembered because wow. okay. I, I right. flipped the numbers. I was like 97, that would make him really young. Yeah, um, yeah. No, he was born in yeah, 79. Okay. Oh so, wow. 
right? Yeah. Yeah. But uh but now he's dead. And I think it might have something to do with being on that film. Like Okay. I I look forward to the episode where you give me (laughs) connect all those dots legend. Yes. Yeah, connect all those. No, it's true that that, he's dead. That wall that wall of crazy. Yeah. No, no, I okay. (laughs) Moving on. Anyway. So well, so uh WrestleMania six was in nineteen ninety. Okay. And Super Bowl that was in 1990 would have been Super Bowl 23, something okay. like that. Yeah. Maybe 24. Something. Sounds about, okay. Sounds uh, about yeah. So anyway, if you did a comparison of okay. people who were in each proportionally, there yeah. are so many more people who died since doing WrestleMania six compared to all the football players that were in uh, Super Bowl. Okay. And that's that's kind of a weird thing. Like it's, it's, it's a, it stands out as being like one of the most people are dead from this WrestleMania WrestleMania. Oh, really? Yeah. Like oh, wow. I, I'll okay. do a rundown of the card for you sometime. And it's, okay. it's Cause, like cause... dead, 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 dead. Like there's wow. matches where the only person who's alive, who was in the ring is the ref. And there's other matches where none of them are alive. No shit. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I think, well, you want to talk about a cursed event then? Yeah, no kidding. And and they I mean, died. I mean, wrestlers. Yeah, as cool. a as a profession, it yeah. doesn't lead to a long life expectancy. But you know, well, still, the thing well, is, it sounds it like a charnel house. It did, uh, but in the 1980s and 90s, it was a different beast. I mean, it really. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was in 1990. It was the one that was in Toronto. Okay. Uh, and yeah, I'm I'm just I'm thinking back to like all the people. Uh, who are in it and there are so many people who are dead uh wow. that were in it um i'm just I'm, I'm i'm looking right now at the list this is damien looks at lists of wrestlers um <laughs> <laughs> which he does for fun yeah without yeah. without having oh, yeah okay so this is the one right this is the one that, like, that this is just what he does yeah this is the one that yeah. had it uh dusty Rhodes and sapphire with miss elizabeth in their corner against macho king randy savage and queen sherry not a oh, single yeah. person in the match dead. is alive. Yeah. And wow. none of them were super old. Like they're wrestlers that lived in, into oh, their oh, 80s. Oh, yeah. But old timey guys. So it's it's not the lifestyle of the constant grind and the risk in the ring so much as the uh, the the once it became televised and stuff like that. Yeah, well, yeah. And so. and you know, how many of those people how many of those people, you know, were were familiar with bolivian marching powder like right. you know oh, tons and yeah you know, here's another one rick rude uh with bobby heenan against jimmy okay. superfly snooker all three of them are dead dude yeah like it's yeah that's a sobering kind of thing to look at yeah gee many christmas really is bad news brown versus roddy roddy piper both dead fuck um yeah uh bruce oh. Bar- barber beefcake is the only one who's alive oh no no i'm sorry Mr. Perfect is the only one that's alive in or who died from that Brutus Beefcake versus Mr. Perfect with the genius Lanny Poffo, who's the brother of uh, Macho Man Randy Savage. Earthquake versus Hercules, uh, both dead. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. And there's all others right. where you're like, oh, shit, all of them are alive. So it's okay. it's it's a weird thing. Hit but uh, I was going to talk about how hot it is here in Sacramento um, because we know that that shit's timeless. Uh. Um, but let's, let's just... <laughs> Well, it's seasonal, but it could be any year. 
Yeah. Seasonal as in from February through January. Like (laughs) that's a little bit of an exaggeration. Not by much anymore. December, December and January aren't so bad. There are a couple months out of the year where wearing slippers makes sense to me. Where wearing a sweater makes some sense to me. Yeah. This ain't one of them. No, (laughs) no. Um, I I had to stop on the way home from work yesterday, uh, to, you know, get stuff for dinner. Mm -hmm. And, uh, one of the things I wanted to pick up was a rotisserie chicken at the grocery store. Stopped at the grocery store. Uh, the rotisserie was outside. It might as well be. And all of the chickens were overcooked. Yeah. Like, (laughs) like there, there was, there was no oven. They were just out there rotating in the heat. Yeah. No, it was bad. Um, I, I, yeah. And, and of course right now, uh, for me, the air conditioning on my car, mm-hmm. um, I have to get in the car and roll percentile dice mm. before I go anywhere. Um, and if I roll over 50, mm-hmm. my air conditioner does not work. Oh my God. And so yesterday I rolled a 99 and it was, and, and it was 108. Yeah. Just, it was bad. Well, so, and you yeah. park outdoors, right? Yeah, I don't have any choice. Yeah. Yeah. My my school has not gotten on the on the on the train of, you know, getting shade and solar panels in the parking lot yet. I'm I like I want to I want to talk to my district about like of all of the things yeah. that we could find a way to spend money on. Like mm-hmm. Here's one we, that will make everybody's life better. This will make generations better to come for a long time yet. Yeah. So So yeah. Speaking of things making life better for yes. generations to come, uh, Will automation, Smith yeah, yeah, that too, uh, robots, oh. yes, um, yeah, and Will Smith movies, tentpole yes. summer blockbusters, yeah, heck yeah, heck yeah. So, last episode, I talked about what Asimov actually wrote in the Caves of Steel, uh, mm-hmm. and to kind of you know, uh, recap what that was, um, it was a journeyman like uh murder mystery that was um a MacGuffin for a very thoughtful science fiction story very high concept about a mm-hmm. uh, very dense population living in in you know with a population of eight billion people on planet earth um <laughs> Which to anybody in 1953 was an inconceivably huge number, and we may have surpassed it now. Um, but anyway, talking about arcologies, people living cheek to jowl with each other, um, colonization, politics with you know colonies and you know the the former colonizers, all of this kind of stuff. It's it's very 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 like I said, high concept, um, and and in many ways it is kind of a precursor of what we would call social science fiction. So that's, that's caves of steel, the beginning Mm -hmm. of the robots series. Sure. Now I robot the Hollywood blockbuster film, uh, led by Will Smith opened in 2004. The movie is still nominally a murder mystery, uh, it still has a human cop working alongside an android in Chicago. Yeah, in this case, yeah. they move it to Chicago instead of New York, which, all right, cool. 
Um, it still makes mention of the laws of robotics. And that's basically where the relationship to Asimov stops. Um, it is not set in the same universe. Um, there are no massive megacities. Uh, Chicago in iRobot looks like Chicago in 2004 with some additional CGI effects for like new buildings. And it's, you know, it's like what 2004 stuff. thought 2044 would look like. Uh, I mean, it really does yeah, only feel yeah, a couple really. generations. Like yeah, I think yeah, there's still only, yeah, the L train is more, still there. Yeah. It's a little bit more than a generation ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's, there are no massive mega cities. There are no off world colonies. Travel doesn't space travel doesn't even get mentioned. It's, it's not part of this world, or at least it's not part of this story. Robots are not human like, um, the interesting thing is yeah, sunny. Well, depends on how you want to say human like. Okay. I mean, they don't the have thing. synth flesh or anything like that. Yeah. No, but when, what I'm talking about is their appearance. Okay. Uh, it is it is an important plot point in the Caves of Steel that Daniel Olivaw is externally indistinguishable from a human. Okay. Okay. Um, in well, that's the... that's it just occurred to me, and I apologize for jumping yeah, in on you. No, that's no. Blade Runner. Yes, it is. Blade Runner is just a noir version of iRobot or uh, Caves of Steel. Yes. Having um, fallen asleep within the first 20 minutes of Blade Runner and never turned it back on. Um, Barbarian. I, I fucking hate noir. I don't know I what know, to tell you. I know. Like, I, I watched know. one but, noir like, that I point, liked. At some point, I'm going to have to sit down with you like, and force okay. you, like, pump you full of coffee and be like, no, okay, look. Okay. This, is, this is, foundational would be the wrong word, but this is, this is a critically important thing for you to understand, understand the whole goddamn genre. Sure. You need to sit through this. Um, and be like 110% judgy because that's my inner paladin coming out. <laughs> um, but like, no, dude, you have to watch Blade Runner. Um, which, which I feel guilty for even saying because I admitted to a bunch of people a couple of years ago, all right, I know it took me forever, but I finally read Foundation. And like all of my friends were like, no, that's cool. Like whenever you get around to it, it's fine. Even if you don't read it, it's okay. Hmm. And I felt so validated. And now I'm completely undoing that. But I'm like, no, man, come on. At some point, you're going to watch Blade Runner. I tried. I know you did. I, I know. Tried. I know. And I, I don't. Anyway, I'm, I'm at war with myself about how I feel about the fact that you haven't watched it. Because like, oh, my God. <laughs> because I love it so goddamn much. I think um, noir is like that though. It's like punk rock. Like if it you love it, is. you love it. And if you yeah. don't, you do not. You really you don't, don't get it. Yeah. You don't, yeah, you don't yeah. understand it. Yeah. And you know what, what's funny about that is there's some punk like um like I I I will freely admit I don't get the sex pistols like at all. I do not get the sex pistols sure. at all. Uh but the clash I can groove out to. Do you think it's because they made it more mainstream? I I think it's because they made it more mainstream. And I think it's partly because unlike Sex Pistols, not knowing how to play their instruments wasn't part of the point for them. Oh, okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, I just, I don't give a shit about punk either. So, yeah, okay. Like, right. I'm like, <laughs> I don't I, like I have... it particularly. I think it's very important culturally. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's yeah. vital to the growth of music. I think yeah. the things that it did and synthesized, very important. Yeah, but, but it's not like it, it doesn't it doesn't move you. Yeah, yeah. no, so. but like rock the Casbah, mm -hmm. like if that comes on in the car, 
That's not punk, though, is it's, it? Well, it. I mean, depends on who you want to see. Here's the thing: people also get deeply militant about what is punk and what isn't. Right. So, okay, it's pretty poppy for punk, but yeah. like still. Okay. So anyway, back anyway, to anyway, back sorry. back to back to uh, <laughs> Asimov and what isn't Asimov. Sure. Which is a much easier line to denote. I will just point out. Yeah, he puts his name on things. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Um, and so in, in the universe of iRobot, the movie from 2004, robots are artificially intelligent. They are sapient. Mm -hmm. They are, they are self-aware. It is, it is established that they are self-aware, but they do not look human and they do not, they do not behave indistinguishably from humans. A robot is clearly a different thing. Okay. From a human, Daniel okay. Olivaw is is not emotional, but mm-hmm. he does have the same thought processes as a human. If that makes sense. Sure. Sure. So the robots in the movie iRobot are not human like, although Sunny, mm-hmm. voiced by Alan Tudyk, who is a gift to humanity. Um, yes he and the generation of robots that he is part of are more human looking than the robots who came before them. Right. It is a plot point within the movie that they are a new generation of robots, Mm -hmm. that they are an evolution of robots. um, And they, and they do look more human, but it's interesting to note they're intentionally designed to trigger the uncanny Valley. Yeah. Okay. And for those yeah. who aren't familiar with what I just with the term the uncanny valley, um, humans we 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 see faces in things mm-hmm. like everywhere we look we see facial patterns like yeah. we we create Toast, them where they windows, don't exist yeah uh, backs of cars yeah yeah and um, if you create a face that is close enough to a human face to be almost human, but not close enough to be indistinguishable. Right. Instead of being more uh, trustworthy or, or engendering, instead of people being more attracted to it, uh, people are horrified by it. Right. People, people, there is, there is this revulsion, the stepping back, the uncanny Valley is where a face gets just human like enough to be deeply goddamn creepy. Mm Mm-hmm. And the faces of the robots in iRobot do a really good job of that. Like, like yeah. there is there yeah. is a a genuine like okay wow, um, and so there's there's that as as a plot point in the film, and then the other thing is it's an action movie, right? Wrapped around a science fiction murder mystery. Like at its at its core, this is an action flick. Which is yeah, bad. Yeah. There's I don't, car chases. I there's yeah, jumping there's off of chases, things. There's climbing off of stuff. Yeah. All kinds of yeah. It's it's gun violence. Fight. There's chasing. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm with you. I'm fully with you. And and like, don't get me wrong. I am fully convinced that some of the best movies that have ever been made are action films. Yep. Aliens, for example, is sure. an amazing piece of cinema, and it is totally an action film. Yep. You know. Um, but but it's it's a very different beast than what Asimov wrote in Asimov's book. There are no car chases. 
nobody nobody jumps uh, out of out of an overhanging office into the lobby of an office building in a in a shower of shattered glass. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's no gun violence. There's no car wrecks. There's no army of androids leaping out of a vehicle to try to murder somebody. Sure, sure. You know, n- none of that kind of stuff happens. It is it is very much a murder mystery wrapped up in a science fiction story. Mm-hmm. Whereas the movie is an action film with a mystery at the core of its plot mm-hmm. would be the way I'd describe it. Yeah. Now to summarize the film, um, Will Smith's character is detective Del Spooner, mm-hmm. a Chicago police detective who has a beef against robots. Yeah. He's the racist black man. Yeah. Essentially. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the roboticist responsible for developing new varieties of AI is believed to have committed suicide. Right, and he also trained a pig to herd sheep. And right. yes, it is the yes, first man is to the same actor, create right. a yes. warp drive. So, yes, yeah, important development there. Very, and he was Sadly, a very corrupt police chief in L.A. Okay, wait, which movie is that? L.A. Confidential. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, by the way, a another treasure. Of oh yeah, amongst actors, he's amazing. What's his name again? Um, James James uh, James oh. anyway all right one of us has to look it up but sure. anyway you keep talking yeah Spooner <laughs> suspects that a robot did it and right. everybody around him looks at him like okay no look this is just because you've got your thing against robots right because there's three robotics, laws there's three <laughs> laws this doesn't work right um there are car chases um some flashbacks to why Spooner has an issue with robots and an artificial arm. That's right. Um, and artificial ribs too. Like that yes, whole area. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And we're, we're going to come back to talking about that in a minute. Um, but you know, uh, in the end, again, <clears throat> just like in the last episode, spoiler alert for a piece of media that's been out for, you know, well over a decade, almost case, 20 years, almost yeah, 20 years. years. Um, it turns out Alan Tudyk's character, Sonny the Android, did kill the scientist, but he did it at the scientist's orders. Right. Because the big AI that can control all the newest generation of robots on Earth. The was fifth about, generation, if I recall. Yes, I believe you're right. Yeah. Was about to incite a robot takeover because of the first law. Yeah, it would have been fully consistent with the robot with, laws. With the laws, yes. Right, as James as, Cromwell, as by the, the way. James, say it again? James Cromwell. Yes. Yes. Why can't it? Jesus Christ, his last name is Cromwell. Uh, that's probably why. I can't why. remember it. Like, why the... <laughs> Dude. Crom... Oliver Cromwell, Lord Protector of England. Anyway, um, and and so, yeah, it's 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 how how the first law can go bad. Yeah. You know, and and so the thing is, when the film was originally conceived, um, it was not supposed to be at all related to Asimov or the robot series or anything. The original oh. concept for the film was a locked room mystery. Um, that okay. got into talking about what does it mean to be human that got into talking about uh, artificial intelligence and uh, you know, these, these kinds of issues. 
uh, it was it was completely separate from Asimov. the The original script didn't even directly reference anything like the three laws, like the laws of robotics. But as tends to happen, the mm-hmm. studio looked at the script and went, "You know what? There's some really good ideas here, but I tell you what, let's let's fiddle with this." And then it got passed on to somebody else who went, well, okay, but let's let's fiddle with this. And oh, hey, let's put Will Smith in the lead role. Okay, well, if we're doing Will Smith, we got to make it an actioner because that's what everybody's prepared to watch him in. Okay. Right, because Men in Black at this point and all that kind of stuff. Right. I mean, he's done other roles. I was say Independence done... Day. Yeah. Yes. Enemy of the State. Yeah. Like there was there was like a four year. Um, run there where he was the op- the number one box office draw in the summer yeah like that yeah. became him yeah uh and i'm gonna talk about that briefly at the end mm-hmm. as well uh but you know and so well okay let's get will smith and if we're gonna do that then let's let's tweak this to to make it a little more action or e and we wound up with the movie that we got and, mm-hmm. you know, again, not a bad thing, but then somebody went, well, okay, if we're talking about robots, mm-hmm. Asimov's three laws of robotics, we can bring that in here and let's call it iRobot. And we okay. have the rights to the title and some of the concept we're now using, you know, three iterations, four iterations of the script in now we're okay. borrowing from Asimov. So we're going to say, inspired by ideas from Isaac Asimov's work, and so the thing is for a whole lot of how how can I put this? Um tweedy science fiction fans mm-hmm. who went into the theater expecting an Asimov movie. This film was not what we I, I hesitate to say they what we mm-hmm. went in expecting. Now I had sure. a lot of fun. It's it's it's, it's a good movie. A, it's 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 a well put together film. Mm-hmm. I think it swings for the fences, and it doesn't quite a hundred percent connect on everything. Um, there are some places where it goes weirdly overboard. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tunnel scene comes to mind, where it's like, well, okay, we're going to make this big. Holly, we've got to make this a summer blockbuster, so we got to have the big set piece, you know, action sequence. And I, I feel like, I feel to me, narratively, the story would have been better served if, if that scene was not quite so big. If that makes sense, I kind of, yeah. So, so, and I mean, this is this is all me, you know, critiquing, and and you know, I'm sure other other viewpoints or exist on it but um you know and and so the interesting thing is the novel caves of steel was written in 1953 and i spent the last episode talking about how it is a product of its time Mm -hmm. i don't think you could make irobot today and have it be the same film I genuinely, I, I think, I think there are so many things in this movie that are so very early two thousands that I don't think you'd be able to make it again. Okay. So it's two thousand four, right? Right. 
then we're going to eat our vegetables again. History lesson. <laughs> so 2004, Iraq War, Afghanistan War, Patriot Act passed two years before in 2002. Right. Okay. We have drones being heavily used in Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Now they're under human control. They're basically remote control vehicles. They're drones, yeah. They're drones, right. but they feel in the popular conception, sure. they feel like robots. Yeah, it's a new kind okay. of warfare. It's a new kind of warfare. It's an evolution of the technology being used. In the early 2000s, people became aware of programs like Carnivore, official name DCS-1000, Okay. Uh, monitoring their emails. Now, this had been happening since the late 90s, but it was scaled up after 9-11. Yeah, it was Echelon prior to that. And, it, and yes. Echelon was... We'll listen to your people. You listen to our people. <laughs> and and that way we're not spying on our own people. Yep. Listen, yeah. listen to you knowing your your surveillance state facts. I took a class. So okay. <laughs> After my first divorce. Okay. I I had a friend say, You need to go to singles bars. I said, I don't drink. Like, well, you need to go somewhere where you can meet people. And I said, Okay, I'll just go back to school. I'd finish my credential. Not an entirely bad plan. I'll be there with people who want to improve their brains. I'll take the classes that I want to take. There you go. So the interests will compound, right? And this is how I met my second wife, actually. It was, it worked. Worked very well. well, Sign language class. But the class that preceded that, the class that I took directly before that, where I walked from uh, Alpine Hall to Eureka Hall, was, uh, he's... He, he might still be alive, but John Sire's uh, intelligence and espionage class. Okay, that sounds fucking awesome. It was awesome. And the Dude. thing is, we, I mean, it was 2004. Okay, no. so right when the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, okay. No, it was 2003. I apologize. Okay, okay. So um, before the movie, but still. Yeah. So, I mean, it was like we watched the State of the Union address for our first class period. Oh no! Oh, shit. Let's roll. Yeah. Oh shit. Okay, yeah. I had forgotten. Okay. Yeah. So Damn. yeah, because that's yeah that that night I I I, I want to say that night I met my uh, my second wife. Um, but uh, <laughs> that's an emotionally intense period of time for you. Well, man. it was Holy it, it was for me. It was go from that to sign language. So okay, yeah, just no, learning. I like I didn't yeah. know the destiny that was ahead. Yeah. Of me. Well, yeah. Oh. No, of course, but. But Still. yeah, so yeah. I mean, I was I was in that class and I'd taken a class with that man already and he mm-hmm. loved having me in that class. And so he would just call me a rascal uh, anytime he saw me on campus. Damien, you old rascal. But uh, but he never talked about his career in intelligence, but everybody was pretty, <laughs> everybody had made up stuff about like he must have done this, you know, you know, and the really funny thing about it is mm-hmm. half of what you all made up probably was true. Oh, yeah, easily. easily because, you know, like. You know, yeah, but uh, but he knew the inner workings of all the agencies like he really studied this stuff. So okay. everybody else was like the NSA, they do blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, they can't do blah, blah, blah. Because if you look at the sheer volume of what they process, they're only catching 5% and blah, blah, you know, and then, you know, here's how they actually made pizza boxes out of all their intelligence and all kinds of wacky shit. Um, okay. But uh, but 
you know, I, I learned from, from him uh, about intelligence and espionage. So cool. Echelon was absolutely part of that. And at the time, uh, Stratfor, producer George will know, Stratfor, uh, Strategic Forecast, I think it was called. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I had a subscription to them for a little while. Exactly. It was an email that you would get yeah. every week. Um, so that was Stratfor. Uh, then, then when podcasts came up, they did podcasts for about three months and then they stopped. Yeah. But, uh-huh. but yes. So back to what you were saying, we were using yeah. drones. Uh, Echelon had graduated into what was it called again? Carnivore. Carnivore. Which that's telling. Which in which in official uh, 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 parlance is referred to as DCS one thousand because in the popular press when when the name Carnivore came out it. It, it did not have a, a, a positive effect on on uh, on on perception of the program. <laughs> and so by this time, the institution of uh, the large scale omnipresent surveillance state mm-hmm. and security culture that like you and I and everybody listening to this podcast now have as the background of our daily lives. Right. Started around this time in the wake right. of 9-11. Um, and so that is, that is the, the technological sphere mm-hmm. of what was going on around the making of the film. Mm-hmm. Now the movie brings up some really compelling questions about sentience and what it means to be human. It mm-hmm. really manages to touch on some, some amazing stuff. And this is kind of why I say, that it swings really hard and and hits but, a but doesn't, deep foul and hits a deep foul. Okay, because I I think it it brings a lot of this stuff up and then in the interest of making a tentpole action movie, it walks away from it. Uh, the movie has powerful moments where it almost aspires to Asimovian high concept kind of thinking, mm-hmm. like we find out that Sonny actually has a second brain that allows him to judge whether the higher good is served by the laws of robotics in a given situation. Yeah. They, they touch on that in his flashback about getting hurt. Yeah. Yeah. The, the moral ambiguity or situational ethics versus rigid laws. Right. Because right. Will Smith has a line where he says, I'm getting, ooh, I'm oh, getting okay. to it. I'm getting yeah, yeah. to it. We're going to, because there's, there's multiple levels. Spooner, the character of Spooner mm-hmm. interacts with all of this. Uh, on on multiple kinds of levels right right um and so so but Sonny has the second brain that allows him to not only try to follow the laws of robotics but to judge the laws of robotics mm-hmm. and decide in a given situation how the greater good or the higher good is served right and so i mean that's 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 an amazing philosophical point, but it kind of gets treated by the movie just like a plot point as a MacGuffin and an explanation for, well, see, this is how he could actually like be the one to kill the scientist, mm-hmm. you know, and there's no, they, 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 they have it there and, and they make use of it as, as kind of an excuse for this is how the mystery gets solved. And that's, kind of it they they leave it there like a sock on a shower rod <laughs> you know um and there's and and like i wish there had been more done with with that mm-hmm. 
um, robots in the movie behave in ways that can't be explained by their programming. Um, they automatically, when they when they get placed in storage containers, there's this amazingly evocative scene. Yeah, where the the earlier generation robots are all being shipped off to be shut down. Right. Because the new the, the company putting all the robots out is like, if you own an older generation robot, we're going to upgrade you to the new one, you know, ship your old robots off. And they're all right. going into these storage containers and you see them and they automatically like line up. Yeah. They rank up and that's not, and, and there's a commentator. They, they kind of have a voiceover of this news story going on in the background of a commentator saying, we don't know why they do that. They're not programmed right. to do that. We don't right. know why they do that. Um, Sonny mentions that he dreams. Yeah. And About electric sheep. Yeah. And there you go with your <laughs> with your genre references. I <laughs> with don't my read, not knowing Mr. Mr. I don't read fiction. I don't. Um, yeah, I <laughs> that's know, that's the it's that's just, the part yeah. that's frustrating for everyone. It's like, how can you be so literate how and you you've never read any shit? of it? You don't, well, yeah, because <laughs> it's the water you swim in. Yeah. Um, and, and so the question well, is, yeah, sunny is this, dreams. yeah, is this, is this speaking to like an idea of essentialism? Right. Is this speaking to the idea of the discovery of spirit? Are yeah. they trying to make some kind of statement about the nature of consciousness? Like, like. Yeah. What what is this? And they and they and they throw this out there. And I was sitting in the theater watching this, and I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing. And then they just moved on to another fucking action sequence. And I'm like, don't get me wrong, I enjoy an action sequence, but you just gave me intellectual blue balls, and I right. need you to do more with this idea. <laughs> like, for the love of God, Montresor. Sure. You know, and um, again, as I mentioned, part of the plot line involves the mass retirement of prior generations of robots because the, the new generation, Sonny's generation, who, who don't all have a second brain, Sonny is special, mm -hmm. um, which like we can talk about, is he the chosen one? What's the deal right. with that? Right. Um, but the, the new generation of robots that are going to replace all these older models they're all centrally wired through Vicky, V-I-K-I, mm -hmm. the huge, gigantic, overprotective, incredibly powerful AI. And so there are themes introduced here of talking about planned obsolescence. Right. Uh, fears of replacement by automation. Yep. Like, you know, the robots, the older robots here are standing in for human workers, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, there are all these amazing themes, like, and these ideas that they're touching on. And I'm like, oh my God, this is awesome. Oh yeah. And they're pulling all kinds of stuff in yeah, like, from other robot shit. Like the from fact that Vicky was originally a seven-year-old girl built by Ted in Small Wonder. Like, where do you, how, how do you do that? <laughs> like teach me your tricks sifu like <laughs> because holy shit how did you like, not get that connection when you were doing the research you're like and it's god. vicky and you're like and you didn't think of the because, seven-year-old because because small wonder like yeah. really yeah talk about a deep cut um <laughs> like you and you and four other people watched that show yeah 
Um, I mean, I remember the title, but I remember yeah. it mostly because it was a flash in the pan. It was like, yeah, yeah. that was bad. It ran for a couple Jeez. seasons. It was it? like, yeah, that's yeah. the wild part. It's like, it's there you was... remember when we did the co- the cartoons that deserved more? Yeah. Um, I was shocked because I I said any cartoon that got sixty five episodes was automatically disqualified from my search. Right. Yeah. The ones that I'm like, oh, this deserved more, and I'm like, how did the hell did they get eighty three episodes? <laughs> when what the yeah fuck? and they yeah. were consecutive it wasn't yeah. like and oh, then yeah. 10 years later they rebooted yeah. no i yeah, know no. i think small mm-hmm. wonder ran like two to four seasons it was insane yeah it was nuts yeah you know anyway. it's it's um i don't remember what the what the name of the effect is but like if you tune into a classic rock radio station uh-huh and you listen to the stuff from the 60s and the 70s you're like man this is awesome you would think the sixties and the seventies were this were this pair of decades where rock music was just like amazing across the board. And all there was. Yeah. And and no, and the fact is actually <laughs> the sixties and seventies were full of shitty garbage. Yes. Just and like every hear, other generation. Just like every other generation and every other genre. And what we hear now are the classics. And like the amount of crap TV that is still in my memory. Mm-hmm from the 80s is kind of staggering oh yeah like it's like, it's well like it, a, a fun know, exercise like, to Jesus. depress yourself to is okay. to look up the number one song that was playing the day you were born on the billboard top 40 oh yeah look up the number of song that was playing when you were born when your yeah. wife was born when yep. your son was born yep. and pick other family members that were born either yeah. your age or or younger and you'd be like I've never heard of that song. How was it number one? Like, and then you look down the list and you find like number five and number six. And you're like, those songs were four years old at that point. What the shit is this? And then you'll find a song that you're like, oh, well, this was iconic. How was it number 22 when this shit was number one? Mm -hmm. Like, it's so, it's wild. Yeah, it's crazy. I remember, um, what was it? Uh, God, I forget what year it was. It might've been the year that Marty McFly went back into the future. So 53, 54. Anyway, yeah, yeah. one of those I years. I want to say it was 50, 50, I want to say 54. And the number one song was the ballad of Davy Crockett. And I'm like, how hey, the fuck? Hey, the ballad of Davy Crockett is a banger. And I oh, will okay. die on that. Hill. All right. Yeah. Yeah. In the meantime, Elvis is hitting everything. Okay. <laughs> In the meantime, like yeah. Chuck no, Berry, I, yeah. Yeah, like no. Johnny B, like all this I, I other know. shit, but ballad no, of Davy Crockett. No, no, it's like, a plot point. It's a plot point. I know. Johnny Marty McFly. Good, not out yet. Yeah. So yeah. don't get that twisted. Sure. But but you get my yeah. point. Yeah, no, I totally like, get your point. Yeah. And, like, and, and you know, statements about the ballad of Davy Crockett aside. Yeah, no, you're you're totally right. <laughs> yeah. Um okay. so I interrupted to uh no, to no, talk no. about so, Small Wonder, which had 96 so, episodes, I found out. Four seasons. Bitch, what? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, yep. our culture is a goddamn wasteland. So <laughs> <laughs> it was then it still is so you know at the same time that's going on mm-hmm. culturally um we're also seeing the expansion in the in the very early 2000s the consciousness within within the public of the expansion of internet connectivity is oh. is people are becoming more aware of it so web oh, yeah. 2.0 
uh, originally started the adoption of, of the set of protocols that became web 2.0 started in the late 1990s. Right. But in the late 1990s, it was something that, you know, tech people were talking about and it, it entered public consciousness, mainstream public consciousness in the two thousands. And so web 2.0 is the interconnectivity of things, right? Your home appliances being connected to the internet, uh, getting your phone service through the internet. Um, you know, all, all of these, the, the massive expansion of the internet itself, moving from just being you know a set of desktop computers and 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 mainframes talking to each other to all Mm -hmm. kinds of devices being connected to one another for a whole host of reasons not the least of which being commerce well the majority biggest reason of it being commerce right but but you know all 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 kinds of shit going on sure like behind the scenes as part of web 2.0 in 2001, the iPod had been introduced, uh-huh. and MP3 files had become a new medium for distribution of and listening to music. Uh-huh. And this is the time period when we see all of the controversy surrounding Napster and the recording Napster, industry, LimeWire, all that, LimeWire, all yeah. that stuff, and the recording industry, like completely overreacting and turning themselves into this gigantic villain oh yeah by you know slapping fines on people for downloading happy birthday you know um and and you know lars ulrich in particular also james hetfield but mostly lars ulrich uh revealing himself themselves as being just titanic privileged assholes oh yeah uh (laughs) for just being hugely outspoken and and i say this as a metallica fan like mm-hmm. wow um just just you know utterly tone deaf in in the stuff they're talking about about sure. about napster at this time and the extent to which the public consciousness of the expansion of the internet mm-hmm. during this time period is very much tied into music specifically and media specifically Mm -hmm. suddenly being way more widely available and this rapid change in the way people are consuming media. Yeah. I mean, especially younger folks, you don't have YouTube until 2005, but there were plenty of video sharing websites prior to that. There was filecabby.net. There was, you know, stuff like that. And I think by 2003, yeah, 2003 was when iTunes store came in. Yes. So there's iTunes there's a, was 2003. Yeah. Along, you know, which, which is where it solved you know, the, 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 the iPod sharing service thing. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. And, and it became this, this is when, uh, I mean, essentially this is the beginning of the end for music stores. As yeah. we knew them previously, because you had iPods and you had because now, yeah, because yeah, now everything's digital, and you know uh, that very rapidly became the medium mm-hmm. by which we listened to music, by which we we yeah. you know uh, acquired music, and so this this is and and music itself is is you know a profoundly emotional medium, you know yep. you. Yep. 
we all have the, you know, a soundtrack in our heads mm-hmm. for our lives. You know, there is, there is the song that was going through my head around the time I graduated from high school. There's the music that I remember uh, being associated with, you know, the emotional state I was in after my divorce. Mm-hmm. Uh, the song crazy was like a big deal around that time. Sure. For me anyway, and kind of into, it was in heavy rotation on the radio too, coincidentally, but you know, we, we all have this emotional attachment to music and suddenly the way we were listening to our music was fundamentally changing. And so there's mm-hmm. this, there's this insecurity sure. attached to that. And there is this change attached to that. And mm-hmm. in the film, there is this deep seated, we, we see our own distrust and our own insecurity and our own fear echoed in the main character of the film, detective Spooner and his knee jerk distrust of robots in general but especially oh hey now they're coming out with a new generation of them right like you know why do we need why do we need a new generation what's for you know just all of the you know uh knee-jerk um um you know uh luddite kind of responses he has sure is is what was kind of what was certainly present if not dominant but certainly present in you know, the collective, uh, consciousness at the Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And, um, so then the film also gets into talking about the ethics of robotics. And here I'm going to start talking about Spooner. Spooner is himself part robot. Okay. His arm and part of his rib cage, significant portion of his body had to be reconstructed. Are we just going to skip past his name or is there a spot where you address I, you go ahead and talk about it because well, yeah, bring, so he's bring it up. Spooner. Behavioralism. Yes. You know, training things, changing over time, all that. I mean, he's his yeah. name is Spooner. Yeah. Uh, so he has this change, but also, you know, uh, yeah. Sunny represents what Spooner should be doing. Yeah. And James Cromwell's character pretty much tells Spooner that by the end, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, and Vicky has been self-training herself, like she kind of self-radicalized ultimately. Yes. Yes. And all of this comes back to behavioralism, like stimulus response, stimulus response. And you know, if this, then this, if this, then this. And mm-hmm. the the three laws lead to a self-fulfilling prophecy, as it were. They lead to a, a self-radicalizing training. Um yeah. and yeah, all of all of these things. Um so no. Um, behavioralism was BF Skinner, wasn't oh, it? Oh shit! <laughs> Never mind everything I, like, I just said. I was like kicking myself because I was like, "Wait, yeah. what? What way? Whoa, whoa, hold on!" No, what you're right, I, Skinner. Spooner's the one yeah. who who reverses words. <laughs> yeah, Spoonerism. God damn it! Okay. Never mind. I mean, that so, would have been cool, but it's not true. Uh, okay, <laughs> but now, but now. You brought that up. So there's a story I have to share. Um, <laughs> a, a friend of mine and his wife are adorable. Mm. Uh, they've, they've been married for over two decades and they're, and they're, they're still gooey with each other. It's, it's mm-hmm. really cute. Um, <laughs> when they were, when they were first dating, one of the kind of, you know, little couple games that they used to play uh, was that they would, they would throw spoonerisms at each other. 
Mm. And at one point they were in line at Starbucks and, and they'd been, they'd been playing this game for a couple of months. And, uh, and, uh, my, my friend's now wife, uh, looked in the, in the pastry cabinet at Starbucks mm-hmm. and she saw carrot bunt cake. <laughs> and without thinking, she turned to my friend uh, sure. and, and spoonerized mm-hmm. carrot bunt cake into a barrette anyway, loudly. Yeah. And then watched as everyone in line turned to look at them and blushed to her toes, apparently. But anyway, so yeah, that's that's Spooner as opposed okay. to Skinner, who is behaviorism, which, by the way, here's the thing. Uh-huh. Here's the thing. That's actually a really good point. And in a way, I almost want to give you credit for Spooner being really close to Skinner because nope. of all of that. Nope. Doesn't because count. <laughs> I might be that's right. That's awesome. But, but yeah. Yeah, no, sadly. It's you know what? This is along the lines of me recognizing that ounces is is abbreviated OZ. Yeah. Like that yeah. doesn't mean that it was done on purpose. You yeah, know? no. So yeah, yeah. This is yeah. So <laughs> uh, so Spooner, the detective, yeah. yes, is part robot. Uh-huh. Uh he has he has a uh a prosthetic limb. And, right. you know, significantly reconstructed parts on that side of his body. But he has this huge phobic bias against robots. And yet he's surrounded by reminders of his own inadequacy. Yes. Because the robots are whole. Yes. But things having to do with him are not. Yes. His ceiling fan has a broken blade. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he spends yeah. time looking at it because I remember going like, well, what's with the Colonel Kurtz shit here? Um, yeah uh, yeah yeah no see the thing is there are so many parts of this movie that you look Mm -hmm. at the details and you're like oh my god that's so fucking brilliant and then they give you intellectual blue balls and they leave you hanging and they don't (laughs) fucking do anything with it sure now the character development of spooner is awesome and Uh and that is one of the threads where they actually do manage to carry through yes um and now the thing is the reason for those of you who haven't seen the film and presumably aren't going to because i'm about to spoil it for you the root of his distrust of robots is that the robot that saved his life right. chose to save him over a little girl. There was a car accident. Yes. Uh, his, his police vehicle and another vehicle went into the lake because um, it's Chicago. Right. And he's in the car looking deeper into the water at the little girl sinking and a robot jumps jumps into the water and immediately runs and cuts his seatbelt and pulls him out. Right. But in the process, his arm is destroyed, basically. Yes. Um, and he, and the whole time, he's trying to tell the robot, don't save me, get her, get her, right. get her. Right. And so the robot's decision to save him, number one, instills this incredible level of survival guilt in him. Yep. And it leads to a really meaningful question about the moral calculus mm-hmm. that led to him being the one saved. Because in his head, I'm a cop. Maybe so he not, was fearing for his life? Maybe not. And <laughs> needed to shoot the girl? Well, okay. He's an idealized cop. Okay. <laughs> and so as the hero of the story, his outlook is, mm. I signed up for this. 
<laughs> yeah, that is idealized. You're right. Yeah, that must yeah. be in the future. Yeah, yeah, or or an alternate universe. But in his head, you know what? Fuck it. Let the robot robots take over. Then, yeah. like, I'm down. I'm down. <laughs> We're done. There yeah. we go. No, but in his head, I um, I for one welcome our metallic overlords. <laughs> yes, I um, do. You know, like, but it but in his head, I signed up for this. Right. Like like. I'm an acceptable casualty if that innocent little girl gets saved. Right. The robot's calculus is I can save you. I have a I have a 90, I don't remember what the percentages are, but it's like I have I have a high percentage of succeeding at saving you. If I try to save the little girl, it's you're like going 16%. To die. Yeah. And she and I only have a 16% chance of saving her. Yeah. So according to laws of robotics yeah you're the one i gotta save because yep. i can get you to the surface and save you that's 100 i've saved a life i've done what i can do yeah and that's it and that moral calculus stinks to him yes he like, says something like you know but no person would ever make that choice. yeah no human would make that decision yeah 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 um and so in 2004 as i've mm -hmm. already mentioned we were using drones extensively in Afghanistan well, and, and Iraq as part of the global war on terror. And the logic behind it was, you know, if you, it, was a pre, it was the Bush doctrine, preemptive yeah. striking. <clears throat> yeah. If you could slaughter an entire wedding full of people um, so that you can justify invading a country uh, ex post facto uh, okay. about uh, weapons of mass destruction, don't you have a duty yeah. to do so? And sure enough, but no, I mean, it, you yeah. know, as, as sarcastic and as awful as yeah. I am being yeah. about that, that is basically the doctrine of yeah, yeah. preemptive the, the, strike. If you can kill like two, it, sorry about those two innocent people that died next to the terrorist, but there's well, a we ticking got the time terrorist, bomb. right? And hey, the, if the we need to torture, we get the terrorist. 100 if we need to torture, let's do that. Yeah, you know, it's it's um, that kind of twenty four logic. Well, Which yeah, was it's going it's, at it's, the time, by the way, oh, Jesus. Yeah. 24 was running at the time. Yep. So there's, so there's that, that level of logic. There's also the idea of, uh, we're going to fight them over there rather than over here. Yep. And there was a recurring theme during the time period running all the way up to now, uh, within the genre and even within, within non-science fiction kind of media mm -hmm. about, you know, where, where is the line? Where do we draw the line for AI driven war machines? Mm -hmm. Like, like we have it right now. We have human pilots making these decisions. We have humans overseeing what's going on. Right. But there's always a push for, well, you know, if we can automate this, we'll make it more efficient, we'll make it more effective. Right. But there's also the risk of more, uh, collateral damage, more, you know, innocent casualties, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And um, how, where, you know, there's, there's this constant tension about where is the ethical place to draw that line. You know, it's interesting too, because in 2004, Karen Travis came out with the first uh, Republic commando book. Yes. Where they, start talking about the morality of having wet droids essentially which is what they yeah. call the they, clones yeah is you know so you've got one side they're using all drones or basically droids yeah. uh and you know it's acceptable 
but on this side, you've got clones. So that's living tissue that's literally wouldn't exist were it not for this war. Mm -hmm. And these people didn't have a choice. They were made for this, literally made for this. Mm -hmm. So isn't that still more moral than drafting other people's kids? And the answer is, yes, it is. But... (laughs) It doesn't mean it's not troublesome. Yeah. And and yet she dives deep into that and into the culture of that. um, And, and what that does to the soldiers, because they're also only 10 year old boys. They have the bodies of 20 year olds because they've been accelerated growth. So now you get really into like the morality of it. And I would still say that that is a more moral choice than drafting your son or my children into a war. Okay, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna take this on a complete fucking tangent. Okay, because I and she wrote that read, in before. Having not but. read the Republic Commando series, okay, what you're saying about so them good. being cl- being accelerated, uh huh, and they're they're effectively ten year old boys. Yep. Um, in uh, the Macross film uh-huh. and and OVA and what became the Robotech TV series, sure, here in the United States. Um, the Zentradi. I know that name. A, okay, good. Mm-hmm. I I got that reference. Yes. Um, thank you, thank you, Captain Rogers. They were the bad guys. Uh, yes, they were. And there's one of them that works with the Robotech team or something. Actually, several of them. Okay, cool. One of one of the one of the Zentradi warlords. Um, basically, has a change of heart. Okay. Uh, yeah. And and realizes that he's that he's kind of on the wrong side and sure. switches to to help humanity. Okay, Britai, badass motherfucker. So so the thing is the the Zentradi are a cloned army mm-hmm. who were created by the Robotech masters who themselves mm-hmm. don't show up until the second series in Robotech and aren't actually associated at all with. Uh, and, and, and I'll have to do an episode on, on Robotech versus the source material at some point. But anyway, so the Zentradi are clones. The average Zentradi warrior is four years old. Mm. And he's 20 feet tall. Right. Because they've they've not only figured out how to create clones, they figured out how to gigantize them. And it is a plot point within the Macross story. Mm-hmm. That um, their leaders are the warriors who managed to survive and live for a couple of hundred years and have been through every single battle. But literally every experience they have is tied to being a warrior. They have no culture, they have no music, they have no art. Their culture is war. Yeah. And yeah. so they encounter humanity. And Lin Minmay shows up and they're like, what is this? And it, it's a recurring thing within, within all the Macro series of like a new Zentradi fleet shows up because there's thousands of them throughout the, throughout the galaxy. It's a thing. And we throw human culture at them and they're, they're gobsmacked and they don't know what to do. <laughs> and we immediately get half of them going like, okay, fuck this. I'm joining you guys. And then the other half, like, you know, retreat into, into their shell and, and are, you know, completely, completely shell-shocked by it and don't sure. know what to do. You know, it's interesting that all of the clones in Star Wars mm-hmm. are straight up clones of Jango Fett. And this never occurred to me until I made the parallel with the Zentradi. Mm. 
uh, but also they're all straight a kind up, of warlord. Yeah, they're they're yeah. straight up clones of Jango Fett. None of them are female. No, the Zentradi are strictly divided by sex. Oh, into Zentran, who are biologically male, and Meltron, who are biologically female. Gotcha. And the Robotech Masters have enculturated and encouraged within them a distrust bordering on loathing mm-hmm. between the two groups. So it's actually a big deal in Macross when the when the assembled Zentradi forces see an image of a human man and a human woman kissing each other. Mm-hmm. It blows their minds. Right. You know, because, oh, wait, what? And yeah. So, well, so someday this, I'll have to do a, a Republic Commando. You really too, will. And you know what? So in good. parallel with that, I'm going to have to do something about, yeah. about Macross because there's, there's a lot to dig into there. Right. And so, but we, but we have this example in mm-hmm. getting back to what we're talking about yeah. in this episode. We have trolleyism essentially, but yeah. with robots. But with robots. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so in the in the end of our movie in 2004, we kind of can't get away from the fact that the robot is a murderer. Right. Like in the end, the verdict is, oh, yeah, no, Sonny actually did kill him. Mm-hmm. Like his creator told him to do it as a way to get the detective on the case so they'd be able to stop Vicky from taking over the world. Mm-hmm. But the robot is still a killer. And, and like, I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. Like on the one hand, yeah. again, it's sympathetic. On the other hand, he did it. And there's, and there's an underlying level of distrust of technology and, and, and fear of, the ethics of that that's involved mm-hmm. um and and this is kind of a rejoinder in in a way and again this is one of the reasons why i'm disappointed in, in how this movie turned out this is kind of a rejoinder to what asimov wrote in the laws of robotics this is like whoever it was who was writing the script like had ambitions to want to really do something meaningful with this but wasn't given enough screen time to develop any of it mm-hmm. because this is, this is a rejoinder to Asimov because Asimov said, these are the three laws of robotics. Right. And this is, this is going to protect, this is going to make it, this is a safeguard so that robots aren't going to wind up doing all of these things that in the genre previously, you know, robots have eliminated humanity and, you know, the planet is ruled by, you know, humanity is extinct. We were destroyed by the robots, all this kind of stuff had shown up in the genre before and Asimov was like, well, okay, here's how to solve that. Right. We just program them not to fucking do it. Here Mm -hmm. you go. And whoever this writer was, and I, I should have looked up, you know, enough of the credits to know this, but, but in in the end, this was also kind of a group project. So it'd be hard to know who was trying to do it, but there, there is a response to that that is like, well, okay, but you made this one, the first law. Right. You got to protect people and you can't allow them to be harmed through inaction. And right. if you have a sufficiently 
big AI that can look at the human condition enough, they're going to realize, or they're going to come to the conclusion, I can't leave these monkeys in charge of themselves. I mean, it's fifth element shit too. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Seven years earlier. You know, and, and so there's this, there's this interesting response mm-hmm. to Asimov that's part of this, but I don't feel like it gets enough oxygen. Sure. Yeah. Cause, because it's, too, again, it's too much an action movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost, it's, it's an action movie that slips into being smart too much. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And, and I don't know if I'd even say too much, but yeah, it slips into being smart and huh. yeah. So, and I, and I want to talk a little bit because that's mm-hmm. most of what I have to say, but I, sure. before, before we finish, I want to talk a little down. bit about yeah. Will Smith as Spooner. Okay. Because I think this is an important thing too. And I'm not 100% certain, like these, these are notes that like this occurred to me and I kind of put this together, but I'm not, I'm not sure where this goes after it gels, Okay. but I, but I feel like it, it needs to be brought up. Um, first off, there are echoes of veterans of the global war on terror. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Absolutely. As a character, obviously he's clearly suffering from PTSD. There's a yeah. scene where he's clearly wrestling with suicidal ideation. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a prosthetic limb as a constant reminder of the traumatic event that gave it to him. And so in 2004, this was a big new development because of the Iraq war and our involvement in Afghanistan. We had, we went from living in a country where we had a huge, big military that hardly went anywhere, you know, for its size to all of a sudden, we had lots of people being overseas and lots of people coming back being permanently marked right uh by their by their experiences yeah and like so there's so there's all of that going on the other thing that's interesting and this is this is it's really really tied to the time period is this is a will smith vehicle yeah and Spooner is not only a black character mm-hmm. because he's played by Will Smith. He is coded as black. Yes. There's a significant subplot in the film uh, involving the character's mother getting a household robot. Right. Uh, Spooner is pissed about it because like he doesn't trust him. And it's a, there's this moment of betrayal to him. Right. When his mother hands him a pie specifically a sweet potato pie. Yeah. Which he immediately digs into with relish. And she tells him it wasn't made by her. It was made by her new robot following her recipe and techniques. And if I remember correctly, he puts the pie down and he can't touch it after that. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's just like, okay, nope. Mm-mm. Nope. Robots can't do it. Right. And, but, but everything in that scene leading up to that moment is heavily coded. Yeah, heavily culturally coded. Well, and I think leading up to that and through it, because it's doing the and I don't know if this is a trope, but it fucking should be. It's doing the the black guy is the racist in this movie. Now we can handle understanding racism. Yeah, it does because, that. because we don't we don't have to look at a white person being that way. 
right we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna save all the fragile white egos in the audience we're not yeah we're not gonna it's accuse, it's a discussion because we're not accusing anybody of being racist by having a white character be racist right it's a discussion yeah, that i i was having with uh, a friend of the show uh uh gabriel cruz uh about how many movies and tv shows had that as the main foray oh, yeah huge into thing. yeah yeah because it was always like, I mean, it was TV shows of the 80s and 90s, especially. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, but you were really the racist, <sighs> you well, know, and it's, it's yeah. And, and that and, was the only palatable way was, you know, Dylan couldn't be a racist and Brendan couldn't be a racist and Brenda couldn't be a racist. Yeah, Kelly couldn't be a racist. Um, But the the black family that moved next door, they could be the ones that were they jumping. totally could be. Yeah. Yeah. Like so. But yeah, and this satisfies that in, yeah. in a lot of yeah. ways. And this and this totally and does. he's black coated. And I, I do not think that those two things could could you couldn't have one without the other for that movie to work. No, I, I think you're correct. Yeah. I definitely think you're right. Um and and the identity of the character, mm-hmm. this this isn't just an issue, again, this isn't just an issue of the character being played by Will Smith, who is black. And it, it could parts of it could be that it's that it's Will Smith embodying the character. And so the 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 blackness of the character is a core part of his identity. And this is noteworthy because as much as this isn't a classic of Western cinema, it was made with the budget and intentions of a tentpole blockbuster. Mm hmm. And it made over three hundred and fifty million dollars worldwide. Wow! With with a with a, an action hero protagonist who is a mm-hmm. thoroughly core identity black man. Bush beat Kerry in two thousand four. Yep. Because global war on terror and swift boat veterans. Yeah. And bullshit. But in because, June of, but in June of, in, I'm sorry, an election that should have been about a war in Southwest Asia instead was about a war, a in, war Southeast in Southeast Asia. Asia decades beforehand. Yeah, yeah, where the guy who avoided service was the patriot and the guy was who somehow, served was the coward. Yeah, yeah. I know. Like, okay. what the fuck? Had to insert that. Go yeah, on. I know. I, yes, you <laughs> did. And, and it, some anvils have to be dropped. Yes. But in June of that year, in June of 2004, a 42-year-old senator senator from Illinois Mm -hmm. gave a speech at the DNC. That's right. That catapulted him to national prominence and led to him being elected president in 2008. Yes, I'm talking about Barack Obama. Yes. I do not think that Will Smith being who Will Smith was in 2004. Mm Mm-hmm and Barack Obama becoming this central figure on the American political stage are not somehow connected to something that was going on in the American zitgeist at the time. Yeah. Like I can see this, that. I'm, I'm going, I'm going to argue that this is the beginning of the wave of, I want to say progressiveness. Because we weren't really getting more progressive because as you've said before, Obama was essentially chocolate Nixon. Yeah. But there was there was something going on in the national psyche in the United States 
that made it possible for Will Smith to be, as you said, uh, you know, number one or close to number one box office draw several summers in a row. Mm -hmm. And for a mixed race, but clearly black presenting, black identifying Mm -hmm. uh, politician to get himself elected to the highest office in the country. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And I think that by itself is a remarkable artifact of its time. Because then we get into the second Obama administration and the backlash. Sure. Like the first Obama administration, there was backlash. Second Obama administration, the backlash turned into like a complete catastrophic crazy pants fucking shit show. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, um, well, I think that and, was, and, you know, holdovers from Palin and her realizing oh, she oh, could make yeah. money grifting this way. Oh yeah. No, yeah. I totally agree. And, and, and that then, you know, led to that wave that I'm talking about of whatever, of whatever it was in the, in the national psyche or in the national national zitgeist, whatever you want to call it, then crashing, mm-hmm. and and us now having to deal with the after effects or the not even after effects, the ongoing um, white supremacist backlash from it. Oh yeah, I mean the amount of hate groups that rose is is yeah. astounding, is as astounding as it is disturbing. Yeah. yeah and and infuriating mm-hmm. so yeah i think that's that's the last note that i want to bring up is is this was this was a big movie like i said it made 350 million right um and it is it is putting aside everything i have to say about all the high concept stuff that left me just absolutely frustrated <laughs> At the end of the movie, like you bring all this shit up, you don't like go anywhere with it, right? Um, but leaving all of that aside, this is a this is a tentpole blockbuster summer film, yeah. That that has Will Smith as its incontrovertible lead. Oh yeah, you know, and he's he's in the role that a generation before would have been Arnold Schwarzenegger or bruce willis or one of those guys sure sure you know and and you know i think i think that by itself says something about where we were as a society in 2004 and i don't think uh we're going to see a movie as big as this one with a black lead in it right now well, I'm because yeah, you know because Hollywood wants to make money. Yeah, and, that's, I, I don't you know, disagree with you, but I would point out by 2004 when this came out, he was a proven entity. Again, the mid 90s were his. Mid 90s through the late okay. 90s, you know. All right. And good point. Good then point. There he is that. he has stayed in the public consciousness. Maybe not hitting as huge as he always has. But yeah. he did Gemini Man just uh, just before COVID hit. I want to say, that's true. You know, and that didn't do as well. I think partly because of COVID. Um, but you know, he does. I mean, in two thousand seven, he did uh, I Am Legend. 
you know, he okay, yeah. absolutely is a proven, proven draw. Now he's also getting older and I don't yes. see anybody else stepping in the way that he stepped in in the 90s. So I don't yeah. disagree with your conclusion. I do. Uh, I do think I'm taking a different quibble, path quibble with the logic. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Um, the, the, the A plus B. Yeah, I, I think okay. because I think also uh, with Jordan Peele directing things and being such a hot hand. Um, and yeah. if you right. remember before he died, Chadwick Boseman was killing it. He was in all kinds of shit. That's true. The thing was, the thing is that the, the system has changed quite a bit, too, because you have the juggernaut that is Disney. Um, and so you have Marvel movies as a genre, you know, um and and so a blessing and a curse oh absolutely absolutely yeah. and it, it it is a game changer it's a disruptor if nothing else yeah and so chadwick boseman the amount of movies he did in his short time uh here with us uh is astounding um but a lot of the audience that would go see black panther didn't go see his other things this is true um, and I, I, again, I think with the fracturing of the media and we've talked about this a number of times, Oh yeah. um, I don't know that you get movie stars anymore, uh, as, as, or big box office draws like Will Smith in the summer mm -hmm. of 96, 97, I think 98 as well. I think 95. Um, yeah, that's interesting. That's, that's, I hadn't thought of that, but especially post COVID we might never see yeah. that kind of big blockbuster movie star yeah you know it's, way. even robert downey jr the amazing job that he did as iron man yeah he wasn't the draw no iron man was the draw yes actors yeah. aren't the draw actors attached to really cool shit is the draw is the yeah no that makes sense but i i can't sense. you know the only person i think that would be the draw would maybe still be will smith like he needs to hide out a little bit longer, um, <laughs> a little bit longer. I yeah, but um, I think I think part of his rehab will be that because you know when when Mel Gibson came back, it was a fart in church. Like nobody nobody <laughs> nobody cursed it, but nobody was like, oh my god, this is he's back, baby. You know, yeah. it was like it was seven yeah. years. Ricky Gervais made a joke about it. We all moved on. Yeah. Um. And I think Will Smith for a re rehab tour, he might be the one that's still a draw. Yeah, but I cannot think of anybody else who is still a, who is a draw on their on their own. On that, and same he level. might not be because Gemini Man didn't. I I think he he has a chance because there will be a oh he's back feeling. Yeah. Um. But even Denzel Washington, uh, who is another amazing actor, uh, who also is black. Um, but yeah. he hasn't really been a draw for a while either. He's been attached well, to some cool and that's, stuff. I mean, that's that's again. You, but again, you I think that's you the mentioned system. age. Yes, and that's and that's part of it is the kind of roles that you wind up putting a guy like him in. Yeah, you Sydney know, Poitier as, was as somebody gets older, yeah, you know, you 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 put them less in, unless it's Tom Cruise, because apparently he's made a pact with the devil, right? Or, or Scientology Zenu or whoever. And um, you know, he just doesn't fucking age. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know. but it was Top Gun but, that was the draw. It wasn't Tom. Yeah, Cruise no, yeah, Top no, Gun. yeah. 
yeah no i'm I'm not i'm not trying yeah. to argue with that but you still have that pairing that needs to happen yeah but yeah i think age is a big big factor i don't think there's a undercurrent of stars because i think the system's changed so yeah well it's it's as we've talked about it's fragmented you don't yes. you don't anymore have the oh hey this guy's made the this three films yeah you know these three movie theater kind of films you have well you know this person has done this thing for netflix and this thing over here for Mm -hmm. amazon and they've got this movie that you know did pretty well but no movie in the theater is doing that well right now because nobody's going to the theater i mean if you you if you go back you think about who was above the bill will smith in jim carrey in in um trying to think of who else uh, for a little bit of time uh they had uh jamie fox in um arnold schwarzenegger in. yeah oh definitely arnold like Sly. in the 80s stallone yeah. in bruce willis i don't in. even think bruce willis in was was the draw i think it was think the it was franchises, die hard whatever it was the franchises that made it yeah for All him right. okay um harrison ford in yeah but even that is, I think, after Mosquito Coast proved that no, it doesn't always work. Um, <laughs> then it was back to the franchises ultimately. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think of the equivalent for women. The closest I come is Halle Berry in, because she was like white hot at one point. Yeah, for a while. Um, and then I'm trying to think of who else. Oh, Nicolas <sighs> Cage. Uh, Nicolas Cage movies were a genre for a little while. See, here's the thing: Nicolas Cage movies are still a genre, but they've become a cult genre. Yeah, no, they're they're a carnival. <laughs> they're a, uh, they're a, so. <laughs> I love how he's embraced that too. Oh What's, God, good title, for him. Title, the title of his him. most recent film is the the unbearable the the weight of unbearable talent or something. Yeah, yeah good for him. He needs where, to get out of debt, and this is how he's doing it. That's yeah, good. well, yeah, you know. Um, I think Brendan Fraser kissed the idea of it. Well, Brendan um, Fraser got fucked over. Like, yeah, no, no, he did. But I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking Ugh. in terms of people who were themselves draws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's I'd in like the '80s Brendan and '90s. Fraser. I'd like to see yeah. Brendan Fraser pull it out. He's oh, too. too. I would too. Um, but Denise yeah. Richards, ever so briefly. Yeah. Ever so briefly. Yeah. Um, Very briefly. Yeah, the Scream franchise was a franchise. Yeah. Um, Everybody yeah, involved. John Travolta started doing stuff where john travolta was the draw samuel jackson was a draw briefly as well you know nobody gave a shit about shaft it was because samuel jackson was was just samuel jackson no one cared about snakes on the plane it's because he was was in samuel jackson yeah yeah so totally yeah i'm I'm trying to sick and tired of these motherfucking snakes on this (laughs) motherfucking plane so yeah (laughs) i i I think you're right that we're not going to see yeah um I, yeah, again. and I, I get I get your argument. Yeah. Um, I think this is one of those rare times where I'm oddly more cynical about the reasons behind something than you are. Sure. Because like like yeah, no, it, it hardly yeah. ever happens. I think this is one of those places. I, I think I think um I think the the faction within our society mm-hmm. that has decided or been convinced the review bombers well i i'm i'm just saying i'm 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 not even going to talk talking about like rubber meeting the road in terms of movies i'm talking about 
identity politics in our society. I think mm-hmm. the 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 faction within our society who has decided that demographic shift in the United States is some kind of existential threat. Mm-hmm. I think they are so wrapped up in that and so fucked up in that mm-hmm. that it is it would be it would be very hard for risk averse Hollywood executives to build a tentpole kind of movie around a lead of color right now. Yeah, no, I, I could, I could and see that unless that person is a proven commodity. Okay. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I, and, and, and I can't, and I can't like dismiss what you're saying out of hand, but yeah, you wouldn't, you I wouldn't don't, be I don't surprised know. if I, you were I, right though. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I, I would, get that. I would be, I would be utterly unsurprised if I, I would be disappointed, but I would not be surprised. Right, right. You no, know, like I want to be wrong. I really, sure. really want to. Like I would, I would dearly love to be proven wrong, mm-hmm. but I don't think I will be. And and the thing is, we're never going to know if I'm if I'm proven right. We're never going to know if it's because of my reasons or your reasons. Well, somebody will hack Sony again and we'll find out. No, yeah, and we'll figure that out. Yeah, that's a good (laughs) point. Yeah, that's true. That's okay. Speaking of other, you know, societal trends, that's that's the other one. Like, yeah. So so okay. So that's that's basically that's that's everything. And you know, I started out saying that that the book is, you know, usually better than the movie, and I'm not entirely wrong. In this case, you know, the the movie winds up not being as good as the book because it just it's it's trying to do too many things at once and serve too many masters and there are moments within the movie that are absolutely brilliant and i will totally i will totally cheerlead for those moments within the film Mm -hmm. but and i enjoyed it like i came out of the theater like yeah no that was a fun time that was good but there was also this part of me that was like god damn it there was so much more that movie could have done sure you know, and and so for anybody who went into the film an Asimov fan, when they came out, they were disappointed. They probably had fun, but they were still disappointed. Mm-hmm. And and I think we've we've gone over. We've I've done. A, I hope I've done a good job of explaining. Basically. I think so. Yeah. So there you go. So cool. what is your takeaway now that we're done with that? What do you think? Um. Let's see. Well, that I should probably uh, look a little closer when I'm looking at uh, aged uh, old behavioralists. Okay. Uh, yeah. One. <laughs> so there's that. One. There's that. Um, two, you know, very often uh, the book is better than the movie because the book has the time and the space to do what the movie can't do. Right. And it's a different yeah. medium, obviously. Um, and sometimes the book is different enough from the movie that both of them are amazing, but for very different reasons. For instance, Princess Bride, I cannot imagine a more perfect movie. Yeah. And the book is every bit as good, but nowhere near the same. Yes. Um, you know, it's it's so, it, that's so incredibly rare um, that, you know, and, and I don't know, I think that my friend Logan, who died a couple of years back, uh, he used to say that the movie The Saint 
always bothered him because the movie should was a great movie that should not have had the same title as the TV show because it clearly <laughs> wasn't that that character. And okay. I think we're running into that here. I think in many ways uh, the the movie iRobot should should have not used that title because it clearly didn't fulfill what iRobot as it as a book was supposed to fulfill. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think that that's. And I do. Here's what I, I came away from it. Ultimately, though, is that you do bring up the, a really good point that um, they left a lot of things on the table that could have really deepened the movie. They you know, really did. And and that's I think that's ultimately my deepest criticism of the movie. I liked the movie quite a bit, um, but I think you're absolutely right. There were some really good questions that either you don't bring them up, or you dive deeper into them. Yeah. And this did neither. So, yeah. yeah. All right. All well, right. what what you reading? Uh, well, I'm still working my way through, and working my way through is a, is a bad phrase. I'm still uh, enjoying every minute of hmm. uh, Two Gun Witch by a okay. friend of the show, uh, Bishop O'Connell, uh, an amazing uh, historical fantasy. Mm-hmm. And I am simultaneously, I'm I'm like you know uh, borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. Uh, time-wise, as I'm also reading through the memoirs of Ulysses S. Grant. Ah, still at that too. Yes. Nice. Um, and it is, it is a remarkable, a remarkable read. Um, I would not have pegged him as being a great writer, but he truly was one. Cool. Uh, so yeah, I, I recommend, I very highly recommend Two Gun Witch, number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, throw throw uh bishop o'connell uh some of your some of your cash if you can and uh if you are at all interested in the history of uh the civil war or anything leading up to it um the memoirs of ulysses s grant are a wonderful resource and an amazing read and then because we've been talking about it for two episodes also the robots series by asimov deserves your attention if you nice. if you haven't read them and even if you have reread them because they're good cool how about you uh i'm going to recommend two two things this week uh both of them are graphic novels first one again friend of the show from episode 147 uh tim watts wrote uh republic uh yeah. as a graphic novel you can pick it up uh from empire comics in sacramento on fulton street uh look them up online it's empirecomics.com uh, and ask them for a copy, and you can buy a copy there. Um, he has not yet gotten a distributor. Uh, I'm going to keep leaning on him for that. Mm. But the other one I want to recommend is uh, The Life of Frederick Douglass, uh, the graphic oh. novel of it. Um, and it's essentially his autobiography, the the uh, narrative of a slave's journey from bondage to freedom. It's the first book that he wrote, um, but in graphic novel form. And I am a big fan if you've not read Frederick Douglass, if you've not read a lot of the slave narratives and stuff like that, um, then start with a, a graphic novel because I'm a big believer that you start with a graphic novel and work your way over to the book because then you know the story so that when you're in the book, you don't feel lost. Okay, um, that's and good it's, logic. I yeah, like and it's, it's a really good visual medium book. I mean, you really, you get the tone of voice of what people are speaking in by the pictures okay 
And I, I like that a lot. And also you can see the deprivation that he describes in his book. So I, I highly recommend that as well. So okay. those will be Very the two cool. that I recommend. So All right. Sounds good. Where can people find you uh, if they want to find you? Um, well, uh, number one, not if I find you first. Good point. Number two, um, on social media, if you're looking for me, I can be found at Mr. Underscore Blaylock on TikTok. Uh, you won't find very much there. Um, I can be found at E.H. Blaylock on Twitter. And we collectively can be found on the Twitter machine at Geek History of Time. Um, it is uh, worth noting that that is a good place to go to if you find that we have gotten anything wrong mm-hmm. and you want to shout at us. Uh, we are there. Um, since you have found us, you are listening to us right now. Obviously you have either found us on the Apple podcast app or on uh, stitcher. Uh, either way, whatever you've done, please uh, subscribe and give us the five-star rating that you know, we deserve uh, for all of the time that we've put into all of this. Um, and hopefully for keeping you entertained for the length of time that we have. And how about you? Where can you be found, sir? Uh, you could find me at Duh Harmony on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can also find me, let's see, by the time this drops, let's say October 7th. You can find me on October 7th at Luna's Cafe in Sacramento doing a capital punishment uh, with my new partner, Justine Lopez. Uh, it'll have been our second show by that point. So nice. uh, come on down $10. I strongly encourage masks, but you must bring proof of vaccination. Um, and uh, would love to see you there. So, All right. Well, Very for cool. Geek History of Time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, keep rolling 20s. <laughs>